0: Well, good morning again. As I mentioned, we're going to continue to look at this, this thing called prayer. And uh, all of you have probably done it or tried it at some point, I would imagine. And here's one of the things that I find hard. We're talking about a lot of the things that we find difficult in this series and in some ways how to overcome that. But one of the things that I find hard when it comes to prayer is really a theological issue and and, and it's this theological issue of how does prayer work with the autonomy of God? Like how does it go together that God knows everything and at the same time like it seems that my prayers matter? How does it go together that God has a plan and he's working always towards that plan and he knows what's going to happen and he has this complete foreknowledge of what's going to take place in the future and and then I pray, and then it, does it change that, or uh, does it make things different, or does God change his mind, or how, how does all of that look? I'm not going to answer any of that today, uh, but, but, but I find that to be a, a, a struggle, right? And you might say it like this, maybe, because, you know, I have a lot of years of theological education, and so my mind is trained to kind of think through it like that, but you might say it like this, like, does my prayer do prayers? Does praying actually matter? Like, is it going to result in anything? And you know, the easy answer, the answer that is often given by people who kind of, they want to say no, but they, they don't want to say no, is they'll say, well, prayer changes you and in your response to the situation. But this morning, as I talk about prayer, I want to, I want to focus in on, on how we pray for others, yeah, and that question still kind of hangs out there, right? Like, well, it might change me, but if it doesn't do any good for, I don't know, my sibling who lives across the country, who I'm never around, does, does it really actually matter? I mean, is my prayer important for, I don't know, their health or their financial situation or their relationship with their spouse or or their parenting? Or I mean, does it actually Does it actually matter? Uh, If God knows everything and God is going to do what he's going to do anyway and, and I have no real power, I have no power over God, I have no power over God, then does praying for someone actually matter at all? And I, I think that, you know, as as you think about this, I mean, maybe, maybe that question, do my prayers matter, maybe it's theological, maybe it's simply doubt, like you're just doubting whether God wants to do anything or cares to do anything or has the power to do anything, and maybe it's negative experiences, you prayed in the past, and and, and that person still died and, you know, that thing didn't get better and you didn't get that job. And so you're like, well, does it matter if I do it again? Because it's, it didn't work the first time. But, but I do think that we struggle to know or to believe that our prayers actually matter. And, and here's here's what's cool in the passage of scripture we're going to look at today. I love this passage of scripture. it has been a fun series to preach so far. It's three weeks in this morning and and, and it's really been important to me. But, but what we're going to see is this. That there's a line here in, in this passage that tells us that our prayers do matter and they matter even if God says no to our prayers. Because that's the struggle, right? Like, God says no to a lot of our prayers. We we believe that as a church. We think God answers every one of our prayers, but sometimes he just says no. And we believe, I hope we believe, that, that he says no because it's the best thing for us. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. There's a great passage on prayer in Romans 8, and, and right after it, it says, God works all things for the good of those who love him. And so whether God says yes or no to my prayers, I believe that God is doing it out of love for me, and we believe as a church that if God says yes or no to our prayers that he's doing it out of love for us but like I want to know it still matters even if he says no like I didn't waste my time I didn't waste my breath I didn't waste my energy I want to know that it still matters and in this passage we see why we see why it still matters even if God doesn't say yes to your prayers or if he says yes and in a very strange and peculiar, peculiar way is, is, uh, is the situation in, in Romans 15. Romans 15.30 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. There, this, I love this this. Just this single verse is incredible. It's rich. There's so much. You could study it for a lifetime, I feel like, and just it just teaches so much about prayer and how Paul, who we're focusing on this series, how he thought about prayer and how he felt about prayer and, and, and all of these things. But before we look at some of those details, I think it's really important to notice at the end there what he's asking for. He says all of these other things because he's asking for one thing, and that is prayer. He wants these people to pray for him. Okay, that in your heads, that's what, the, that's what the request is. That's why he's writing this line. That's why this is included in this letter to a group of Roman Christians. That's why. But he starts it off by saying, I urge you. This is a strong word uh, in Greek, the Greek word that translates really strong and uh, other translators have translated as I implore you. It's almost as if Paul is begging for them to pray for him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I think that highly of prayer. I don't know if I believe in the power of prayer, you know, that much. I probably do mentally, but somewhere in my soul, right? Like, like I'm going to, you know, urge you to help me and to come over and, you know, make it better with me or to provide for me or, you know, but... But to think of the idea of like almost begging somebody to pray for you because you see it as that important, that, that tells us a lot about how highly Paul views prayer. And he views it really highly. In fact, this series, you may notice, and I mentioned this last week, is called Pray. And, and what we find in Paul's writings, if you just look for the word pray, if you go to uh, BibleGateway.com or whatever, you just type in pray and you look in the letters that Paul wrote, which is most of the New Testament, then you quickly discover that the number one way that he, that he uses pray is, uh, uh, is just to ask for it. He's calling people to pray, but most of the time when he's calling people to pray, it's him saying, pray for me, pray for us, pray that the ministry will be expanded. I want you to pray for me. If I was giving a quick synopsis on on Paul's kind of theology of prayer, it's, it would be just like he really wants you to do it for him. I mean, that's, what he, that's really at the heart of Paul's kind of teachings on prayer is, is writings on prayer anyways. I, I want you to do it for me. And I, I hope, I hope that I am a man that grows into valuing prayer so much that when I talk about it, the, the number one thing you know is that I want you to do it for me. I want you to pray for me. I want you to be constantly and consistently praying for me. He says urge, but then he says his appeal, this is is such an incredible appeal. By the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, that really makes prayer sound like a big deal, right? And and I think he's getting at two things here, that he's requesting prayer because of the work of Jesus. I mean, we have access to God through Jesus. I don't know if you know this story. I, I try to tell it every week here because it's the most important story. It's the reason we're here this morning, and that is the story called the gospel. It's the story that says this. God looked down. He saw that we, his creation, we had rejected him. We had sinned against him. We had turned our backs on him. We had defied him and, and instead of looking down and saying zapping us and starting over or whatever he said well I'm going to come down there and I'm going to do something for them because I want to have a relationship with them and so he came down in the person of Jesus and Jesus lived sinlessly perfectly his entire life and at the end of that perfect life he died on a cross and three days later he rose again and did all of it so that we could have forgiveness for our sins by simply accepting the gift that he offers by paying the punishment of our sins and then we, out of that, after we get our sins forgiven, we get to be in a relationship with God that we could not otherwise be in. We get to go to heaven someday. But there's this other incredible thing. We now have access to God in prayer. I drew the little diagram a couple weeks ago, and if you've missed sermons in the series, go back and listen to them. But one of the things I kind of alluded to and uh, mentioned is that that we have Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father and interceding for us on our behalfs, And so our, our prayers go up and Jesus then turns and he hands them to the Father. He makes The Holy Spirit makes something meaningful out of him but then Jesus is on our side just saying, like, let's do this, you know. That's a beautiful picture. And it's all connected to the gospel that Jesus came and he died for our sins and rose again. And, and so Paul is saying, look, I urge you to pray because of what Jesus has done for us. And because of the fact that we can pray now. And because we know the, the love of the Spirit. That's the second part. Love of the Spirit can mean uh, the love that the Holy Spirit has for us. But it probably means the love that the Holy Spirit, uh, that he causes to rise up in us. In Galatians 5.22, we read this, this series of, of fruits, uh, these things that the Holy Spirit produce in us, and, and, and the first one is, is love, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, Paul writes. And so when Jesus went up into heaven, he sent down the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit becomes a part of our lives and helps us in prayer. We talked about that. But also he's compelling us to love others. And Paul says, by the, by the authority that you now have to pray by what Jesus did for you and because of the love that the Holy Spirit has caused to well up inside of you for me, I urge you to pray. Oh, that's, that's such a big deal. I mean, like, uh, that's such a weighty idea, Right? I mean, Paul is saying, look, I'm asking for prayer because, because, because you have the right to pray through Jesus, this incredible story, and because prayer is a symbol of your love for me, and it's really an outpouring of your love for me. But he doesn't say pray, does he? And this is the part that I think is, is most important for us today. I'll just jump right to what I think is most important for us today he doesn't just say pray. He says, I, I, I urge you by the power of Jesus, by the love that the Holy Spirit brings, I urge you to join me in my struggle. And this part I absolutely love. I think that this is a life-changing idea. Uh, this word means to engage in a conflict. And and, and the Greek word in the New Testament is used literally at certain points. Like in John 18.36, it's used of joining in a military conflict with somebody. And in 1 Corinthians 9.25, it's used of joining in an athletic contest. And, and Paul comes along here and he's asking for prayer. And what he says about it is so key to, to us feeling like it matters. He says, I want you to join in my struggle with me and that's done through prayer. You see what what Paul is saying is is that that when you pray somebody w- for somebody you are you are joining in the struggle with them you're going to battle with them you're you're fighting the fight with them you are helping them in in the thing that they need help with. Uh, The New International Commentary on the New Testament says he is inviting the Roman Christians through their prayers to participate with him in his struggle to complete his ordained missionary work. We'll look at what the specific situation is in a minute. But he's inviting them to join in the struggles that he is having. He's inviting them to join in the fight that he is fighting through prayer. Life is Is difficult, right? And we know that. And, and, And pretty much what Paul is saying is that when you pray for somebody, you're helping them in that fight. I want to show a video. I know this is kind of ridiculous, this video that we're going to pop up here, but I think life can feel like this. Look at the TVs probably and not the screen. I literally Googled the word struggle and uh And you get this pretty much this same picture of a guy pushing a rock up a hill over and over and over. That's like if you image search struggle, this is what you find. And then I found a video and I was like, well, we should just play the video. I'm never going to think again, right? Like that that was terrible but that's life sometimes, right? I mean, if we just, you know, put the moment aside, and, and that is life. It feels like in one area or another, we're constantly trying to push the rock up the hill to the point that we're like, ugh, ugh, you know? I mean, it's it's really hard sometimes, a- and what Paul is saying is that is that you, when, when you pray for somebody, you join them in the struggle. I, I just thought of, you know, like I should bring a rock too. We won't have to wait on this for any amount of time, but I picked way too big of one. This illustration is going to be better than normal, but uh, but I, I think like if even just carrying, it, let alone pushing up a hill, th- that all of us in some ways we hold boulders in our hands, and and God's called us maybe, or we know that we need to move that boulder. You know, we need to get rid of it. We need to move it on, or, or get rid of it. And sometimes it's not getting rid of it because sometimes it's a God ordained thing that He's called us to do, and we know that that it we have to keep it going. Maybe it's parenting, right? It's like you can't just go like, oh, I'm done with that, right? Like parenting is hard and we constantly are trying to move our kids up the hill and help them be better and, and it's hard and it's difficult and what Paul says is that when you come along, you're help. You're putting your hands under this boulder with somebody and you're helping them move it up the hill or, or move it to the side or get rid of it or whatever it might be and I love this idea because, because what it tells me is that even if God says no to your prayers, that you still helped carry the burden for the person despite him saying no. I mean, we just think, I mean, it seems like cancer is all around us, right? And, and, and you can think of like, you just pray. You pray, God, heal that person. And, and, and then God doesn't. And you think, did I do any good? Did, I, did, I, did it matter that I prayed for that person while they were struggling in their final days? Well, if you prayed that they would be able to continue on, and, and, and you prayed that they would have hope, and you prayed that they would have joy, and you prayed that they would know Jesus, and you prayed that you, that they would sense God's presence, then what Paul is saying is that you, you joined in their struggle and you helped them carry that boulder to the finish line. And, and I think that's so great considering this, you know how theologically messy prayer can become inside my head like am i am i changing the mind of god am i changing the heart of god is it even working does it matter and and in our church anecdotally i mean we say we see god say yes to our prayers all the time but sometimes we see him say no and i like knowing that when god says no i still helped move the boulder i helped the person move the boulder forward I think that's why Paul so often, I mean, God gave Paul a huge boulder to push up a giant hill. It's like, hey, I want you to take this very Jewish story of a a carpenter boy dying on a cross, rising again, and I want you to tell a bunch of Gentiles that don't fear the God of the Jews, who don't believe that the God of the Jews is any better than any of their gods. I want you to tell them that they need to accept this story as true for the forgiveness of their sins. If they do, they get to go to heaven. If they don't, they're gonna go to hell, that's a pretty giant boulder. It's your responsibility, Paul, to make sure that this little Jewish story becomes a worldwide phenomenon. And so Paul gets to like the end of every letter that he writes to a church and says, oh, and by the way, pray for me. Because he knows that he needs help in his struggle. He knows that he needs help in this godly good struggle, right? This thing he doesn't want taken from him. He wants to continue in this work, but he knows how hard it is. And so he constantly asks for prayer. He doesn't just do that. He also prays for people. I mean, he's already said it in Romans 1.9 at the beginning of the letter. He says, I'm constantly in prayer for you. And I think that Paul took prayer seriously for others because he knew that as they began this new life in Jesus, and he traveled away from them, right? Like, hey, you're Christians now. Here's a church. I'm out of here. You know, there's no Bible. I'll send you a letter. Uh, I mean, he knew that it was gonna be an uphill fight, that it was gonna be a struggle. He knew that persecution would come and it would be easy for so many of them just to get rid of the boulder and say, I don't need this Jesus thing anymore. But he, from a distance, said, there's one way that I can join in their struggle. There's one way that I can help them in this fight. And so I, I pray, and he says, I prayed for you constantly and that is a refrain that he says in a lot of his letters as well. When you pray for somebody you join in their struggle and and therefore when God says yes or God says no that's really secondary to knowing that you helped them deal with it no matter what God uh, responded how no matter how God responded. But but here's what's cool I, I man I really I really like this because that's great in theory and if Paul stopped there. I'm not sure it would be nearly as good. But the next two verses give the very specific prayer request. That's what makes this passage so unique and so cool. And then in the book of Acts, we actually read the entire story of of how God, you know, what God allowed to happen to Paul. Like, we kind of see, was it a yes or a no? And we'll find it was a little bit of both. But here's what Romans 15 31 through 32 says Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. And that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. Now, if you were to go back just a few verses, 23 through 29, I'm not going to read them. I planned on reading them, Uh, but basically he he says like, I want to come and I want to visit you Roman people. And and I want to do that on my way to Spain because I want to go and I want to preach the gospel to people that haven't heard. I mean, this is his God given duty but first I gotta do this thing. I have to take this money that has been collected by Gentile non-Jewish believers for the Jewish Christians that are in Jerusalem who are struggling financially. I need to take it to them. And so the prayer request here is really twofold. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers and pray that the church in Jerusalem, the Christians in Jerusalem will receive this financial gift favorably, that they'll take the money. Now, the big question, like why are either of these things a concern? Well, first of all, you need to know that uh, that safety was a big concern for jews uh christian jews in in the early days of the church because the romans saw christianity as a new religion that called for worship of one god the jewish people had some rights but once you became a christian those rights were taken away and now the romans didn't really know how to deal with these kind of jewish people who were following this guy named jesus and declaring him king and and so you 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 automatically became you know the persecuted. You became the persecuted. And you were persecuted by Jews and you were persecuted in some ways by Romans. They were they were kind of working it out together. I mean, from the very beginning of Christianity, non-believing Jews had worked really hard through the powers of the Romans to silence the story of Christianity. People had been arrested. People had been beaten. Uh, a guy named Stephen was killed. I mean, people had to flee from Jerusalem in the early days. And, here, and Paul has become, in some ways, publicly enemy number one because he's taken this Jewish thing and now he's gone out to the world and said, hey, all these Gentiles are invited into the story of Judaism. And the Jewish people, you know, they, they don't like that idea because the Jews were God's chosen people. But Paul is saying, no, you can be God's chosen person simply by accepting the gift that Jesus has offered by dying on the cross. And now Paul is marching himself back into Jerusalem, and so he is genuinely worried that he's not going to be physically safe when he gets there. On top of that, Paul is seen as a dangerous innovator. That's how one author said it. He's a controversial figure because he's saying that Gentiles don't need to act like Jews to be Christians. And so some of the Christians even don't like Paul, and that's what makes this second thing uh, a a very important prayer request. He doesn't know if they'll accept the money because, because there's such tension between the Judaizers and Paul and his kind of group of people, the Judaizers being a group that said, no, if you want to be a Christian, you need to look like Jews. You need to follow our laws and dress like us and follow our rituals and all those things, and Paul's saying, no way, you're saved by faith alone, and that is it. And so he knows coming back in town with Gentile money, right? It's like blood money. He's going to look, he's going to go here, you know, you want this money? And, and the, Jew, the average Jewish guy that doesn't care about the controversy at all, the average Jewish Christian, I should say, is going to say, like, huh. If I accept this money, I'm taking Paul's side, and I have to live with all these people who really are going to be against me. But he knows if that starts to happen, then the tension, and he's worried about this, between the Jews, the Jewish Christians, and the Gentile Christians is going to get worse. Their divide is going to grow greater. And so there's a lot resting on them taking this money. It's not like, you know, if it's me, it's like, oh, you don't want the money? We'll take it. You know, (laughs) like, no big deal to me. He knows that, that the unity of the church As far as his people, because he is Jewish, and the Gentiles is concerned, is kind of hanging in the balance on whether or not these people choose to accept the gift. And then then the result there, I mean, he says, So that I may come to you with joy, uh, but God's will and in your company... By God's will and in your company be refreshed. Paul sees the result. If, if God says yes to both of, both of these things, then he gets to go to Rome and he gets to hang out in a place that would be pretty much peaceful for him compared to a lot of places where they're throwing rocks at him because they hate what he's teaching so much. And he gets to hang out with these Christians who are Roman and he gets to be refreshed and he gets to be excited. It's like he kind of gets to go on vacation. Seems like a guy that doesn't vacation well he will still be teaching and preaching and all that. But he at least gets to get away from all the persecution if God says yes to these prayers. He's already said this in Romans 1, 10 through 13. I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened to me, for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. I mean, Paul, Paul wants... He wants these yes prayers in part selfishly so that he can come to Rome and hang out with these Christians and be encouraged and filled up and, and take a, a little bit of a break. Uh, I, would, I would say uh, that it's cool. It's, I mean, again, it's just so cool because you can flip to Acts 21 uh, through 28 and you see how God answers this prayer and it's not at all a a, a very simple yes or no man and if you if you're like new to the year new to Christianity and you're like I want to I want to read the Bible but sometimes I'm bored and I don't understand it I mean Acts 21 through 28 I know you're kind of jumping into the middle of a story but man it is it is wild it's a great story it is it's crazy and it's all you know it's all how God responds and what God allows to happen even as these people Pray, and, 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 you know, that's a lot of chapters. I can't read you all that this morning, but I just want to read the NIV headlines, uh, the, you know, the headings in, the, in your Bibles, because I think they're really telling, and it almost gives it a dramatic feel. It might not work like the video, but we'll see what happens here. So here's how it goes, right? On to Jerusalem, and we know why he's going. He's going to take this money, right? On to Jerusalem, Paul's arrival at Jerusalem, where he's greeted well, by the way, and probably the gift is accepted. Paul arrested. He's arrested by Jews, and they're trying to kill him. And so then the Romans arrest him. Uh That's crazy. Paul speaks to the crowd. He tells them about his encounter with Jesus. Paul, the Roman citizen. They were going to have him flogged, but then they didn't because he was a Roman citizen. The plot to kill Paul. Paul transferred to Cesare, Paul's trial before Felix, Paul's trial before Festus, Festus consults King Agrippa, Paul before Agrippa, Paul sails for Rome, the storm, the shipwreck, Paul ashore on Malta, where they end up after the shipwreck, Paul's arrival at Rome. Not really a clear-cut yes or no there, right? I mean, that's a wild story. He's thinking, I'll drop the money off, I'll get out of town, we'll be on our way, I'll have my vacation. Uh, but instead, if you're paying to the uh, attention to the story, the gift is accepted. Yes, hallelujah, it's great, seemingly. We don't have like they accepted the gift, but they're excited to see him, the Jewish Christian. So yeah, yeah. Paul gets to Rome, kind of safe. <laughs> I mean, he's not beat up because they throw him in jail. And when he gets to Rome, he's in chains. And he writes the book of Philippians in Rome, in chains, under house arrest. And so you go like, Phew. what are we to do? How did God answer that prayer? I mean, was God's plan really like, hey, you're going to die, but I'll get you arrested? <laughs> like, there's your out? Was that his yes to their prayers? Like, if they hadn't have prayed, would he not have been arrested? And so, may, I mean, maybe Paul would have ended up dead? Was all of the being passed around from trial to trial, God saying yes and ultimately getting Paul into Rome, was the only real way Paul ended up in Rome safely, or at least not dead, through being arrested by the Roman people? We can clearly see how God is, says yes, but he also does incredible work. I mean, Paul takes our religion, if you're a Christian, Christianity to some of the highest uh, authorities in the land who otherwise he never would have had an audience with, but it's all because they're dumbfounded by why he's in chains and what they're supposed to do with this guy that the Jews want to kill but doesn't really have seemed to have broken a law. And so it's this jumbled mess of God saying, yes, yes, I'll say yes to that prayer but I'm going to do it in a way that you know, ultimately glorifies me and in a way that spreads the gospel and moves the church forward and becomes a great testimony for thousands of years beyond Paul's life. We go, <laughs> did their prayer matter? I don't know. Except for this. I know, I know that for Paul that it, that it helped him in that struggle. I mean, would Paul have stood up so boldly in the midst of, of uh, you know, the, the great leaders of the land if, if somebody wasn't carrying the rock with him? I don't know. I mean, would Paul have thought on a whim to, to say, hey, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen, you know, so he didn't get beat up? I don't know. Would the authorities have come and arrested Paul? Would Paul have had the courage to make great speeches? I don't know, but what I do know is that those people, if they chose to say, yeah, Paul, we'll we'll give in to you imploring us to pray and we will join your struggle, they had joined in his struggle. And as he walked that very lonely path to Rome, as he rode that very lonely ship to Rome, as he went through all that he went through, we can believe that the Roman Christians were there in that struggle with Him, if they chose to bow their heads and pray for Him. They had joined in His struggle and we can join in the struggle of others if we will choose to pray for them. The message of Romans, another great commentary, says in prayer too, there is fulfilled the fellowship of conflict and destiny between man and man. In prayer, one man becomes the representatives of the other so that there is opened up the possibility of one standing the breach for all and all for one. We join in the struggle like the three musketeers were in this thing together by prayer. Now let me just make one quick note. This doesn't mean that we don't go help somebody. I think that would be unbiblical to say, oh, you need a meal? Well, I'll pray for you. In fact, that's in the book of James, quite straightforward, just like that. This isn't an excuse to not actually help somebody when you can help somebody. It is, though, another way that we join in the struggle. And I love that it's a way we can join in the struggle when it doesn't seem that there's any other way to join in the struggle. When somebody's lost a family member and they're crushed by the sadness of that, and you don't have the words to say, you'll never find the right words to say. There are no good words to say when somebody has dealt with an incredible loss. And you go, what am I going to do? I mean, their child just died. What am I going to do? Well, you pray. I mean, if somebody is sick and it's chronic or it's fatal, you're not a doctor, there's nothing you can do to heal their body, but you can join them in their struggle by praying for them. If somebody has a major financial crisis and you uh, aren't a wealthy person, you say, well, I I barely have enough for myself. I don't know how I'm going to provide anything for them, and, and maybe you can't. But you can join them in their struggle by praying for them. Man, I believe, I, I do, that, that if we will just remember that no matter whether God says yes or no, praying for somebody is joining the struggle, then we can become great prayers. Uh, no matter what, no matter how theologically messy it gets, no matter how much we doubt god 's you know answering and not answering you know no matter how much we doubt whether it 's going to get done or not going to get done we can we can become great prayers and here 's what I even believe more if we all took this approach to prayer and we said I'm going to join your struggle and your struggle and your struggle we each just said there's a few people whose struggles I'm going to join in can you imagine if we were a church like that how great the the prayer life of this church would be as we joined in each other's struggles can you imagine how how loved people would feel here feel here can you imagine how supported people would feel here can you imagine the difference that it would make in our lives if we knew that there were a handful of people joining in our struggle and just by praying for us it would change everything about us can you imagine if you took that and you did that in every church in America how, how much of a difference that would make in what church looks like and and how deep it is and how important it is to the people who attend it, it would change our entire nation through the church but it's got to start with you saying I'm willing to join in their struggle even if it's just through prayer because what they're dealing with is hard and they need help and so I'm going to I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to join in their struggle. So the call for this morning is very simple. I mean, if there's any application here, it's 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 this. Look at the people around you that you know, that you love, that you care for. See what they're struggling with and then join in that struggle. Just join in the struggle. By by praying for them, I'm going to pray that you'll do that because I know prayer can be a struggle. God, I ask that this church would be an incredible church of prayer, and I pray, Lord, that we would be a people. You know that even when we don't feel like we can do anything, we'll, we'll remember that we can pray. And I pray that we would be a, just a church that that joins in other people's struggles. Lord, as I look out these people who go to church here um, and I know this about the people who are visiting and that I don't know as well too God we all all really struggle with things it's different things for each of us God but we all have struggles some are our own creation some have just come at us Lord by the circumstances of life but we all struggle and I think we all know that we need help in those struggles and I pray God that every person every person here would find that help here, that help through prayer. But I pray, God, it would go beyond this church. I pray we'd look at our neighbors. I pray that we would look at, at you know, our family members, people we love, friends, co-workers, God. And, and and God, we would be willing to, to join their battle. And it is a battle. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Prayer is hard, God. It's difficult to do. For a variety of reasons. But God I pray that we would do it anyway. Because we know that person is struggling. And we want to help them in it. And whether you say yes or no God. I know I believe. I trust God that that you will take our prayers. And you will offer them help. God in the midst of whatever they are dealing with. Help us to be a church that joins in other str- other people's struggles. Through prayer. I pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Um.